Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. Today's episode is all about the Equality Act. Unless you have been living under a rock, you are aware that there is sweeping federal legislation that would protect all LGBT people across the country from discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. We have so much to cover in this episode, and we have two really exciting guests who are experts in their own right in each of their fields with respect to federal legislation. The first is Sasha Bookert. Sasha is an attorney at Lambda Legal, where she works on federal legislation. She has been on this podcast before talking about federal judicial nominees. She is going to talk to us about the meat and potatoes, what's at the heart of the Equality Act, and why it's so important to get it passed. My second guest is Brian Derrick. He is a friend of mine, a former Lambda Legal colleague, a political consultant, and if you don't follow him on Instagram, you are totally being left out when it comes to advocacy around legislation, politics, and getting involved on the federal and state levels. Brian is going to talk to us about the art of getting this passed. We really need the Equality Act to get through, and we need it now. People cannot wait. But there are so many hurdles that this legislation is facing, from co-sponsors like Susan Collins pulling out to the filibuster that could stop it from going anywhere in the Senate, despite the fact that it's passed twice in the House. So we have a lot to get to. Let's dig right in. First up, we have Sasha Bookert. Sasha is a senior attorney in the Washington, D.C. office at Lambda Legal. During her time at Lambda, she has been involved extensively in federal and state legislative and policy efforts, and she's also an expert litigator. She was counsel in Karnowski v. Trump, which you will all know challenged the Trump administration's hateful transgender military ban. Hi, Sasha. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be not only talking to you, but seeing your face. I feel like when we used to work together, we barely saw each other. And now in virtual spaces where we all meet, I get to actually look at you while we chat. That's true. It's, that's, that is an upside. It's nice <laughs> to see people's face. <laughs> true. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today so that we can talk about the Equality Act. You're right there in DC. You're doing a lot of this work around the legislation. I'm hoping you can break down for people very simply, what is the Equality Act and who is it Who is it designed to protect? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, the Equality Act has uh, been introduced uh, every year since around 1973. And uh, it's a statute that would um, uh, require that um, um, LGBTQ people be not not be discriminated against in, in a variety of different contexts. Um, you know, for a long time, up to about four years ago, uh, that was just employment. You know, uh, it was called ENDA, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. But in around 2015, you know, some groups came together and said, you know, we should really uh, be focusing on a more comprehensive approach, you know, to address, you know, the the, the discrimination, you know, people experience in so many other walks of life, you know, including credit, housing, um, uh, education, jury service, uh, federal funding programs, public accommodations, you know, a whole range of, of different air issue areas. So it would, it's a bill that uh, when it's passed, it will prohibit discrimination against LGBTQ people in all of those areas of life. Uh, so we're, we're super excited, you know, feel like we did for the first time ever, 
the bill has, uh, you know, both gone through one chamber of Congress and went through the House of Representatives and uh, has uh, gone through, uh, last week it, it had the first uh, Senate uh, committee hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, so that was was great to, to witness. Uh, I thought the hearing went pretty well overall. Uh, it was a little difficult to sit through at times, <laughs> as you can imagine. I'm sure you watched it. So, um, but, uh, but it was definitely a, a positive step forward and, and we're excited to see this across the finishing line very soon. That's great. So can you tell me a little bit about why the Equality Act is needed? We all know about the listeners to this podcast, the Bostock case, and what that means for LGBT people. But yet we've heard, um, you know, a lot of states and localities do have protections for LGBT people. Why is it so necessary to pass this legislation? Tell us about some of the big gaping holes in federal law and at the state level. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you hear the refrain that, you know, well, you can, you know, get married on Sunday and get fired on Monday, you know, and 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 that's actually true in a lot of parts of the country, unfortunately. Uh, you know, Lambda Legal, I think one thing to note is that Lambda Legal has worked very hard to advance protections um, through case law, which has been really helpful in places where there aren't explicit non-discrimination protections. Uh, but having you know, those clear protections on the federal level that are on the lunchroom wall that say that, you know, you are protected against discrimination, you know, based on X, Y, and Z is so important. You know, it's important for, um, you know, uh, the people that are impacted, LGBTQ people, but it's also important to flag for people that, uh, for whatever reason, would want to discriminate, you know, so having those explicit protections is very important. And there are large parts of the country where, um, you know, there isn't explicit state or local non-discrimination protections, nor are there protections that we've built up through case law. So those are just areas of the country, usually in places where uh, people experience the highest rates of discrimination, including in the, in the deep south, uh, you know, where rates are just off the charts for the discrimination folks experience. Uh, so it's just really important that we win those explicit protections, you know, so that people um, uh, can go to the go to the workplace and not have to look over their shoulder to worry about whether they're going to be discriminated against or whether they're going to be denied housing, you know, because of who they are or who they love. What about um, religious entities and religious uh, discrimination? We know that there, you know, RIFRA offers protections for those with sincerely held religious beliefs, and it's often been weaponized against LGBT people. We've seen Masterpiece Cake Shop come to the Supreme Court. How does the bill um, accommodate for religious practice and at the same time not give huge, you know, exemptions to religious entities? Yeah, that's a really important question, you know, um, and unfortunately, uh, survey or study after study has shown that um, LGBTQ people specifically uh, experience the highest rates of religious-based discrimination. You know, this is a, our community experiences, you know, a much higher rates than any other community when it comes to, you know, folks that want to use religion as a, as, a, as a sword rather than as the shield. Uh, and what the Equality Act does is it just, it says, it, look, if you're going to hold yourself out, it doesn't, you know, there's sometimes a year these myths about like, you know, well, clergy is going to have to, you know, um, marry people against their will. And, and, you know, none of that is true. You know, all it would say is that if you, you know, engage in the public marketplace, that you can't discriminate against LGBTQ people, just like you can't discriminate based on race. You know, so the same rules apply. We're just asking for equality. No more, no less. You want know, the same exact treatment. So uh, there is an interesting, you know, the, the, there is a piece to the, the act that I, I love, which, which is that it would um, uh, prohibit the use of RIFRA uh, for, as applied to the Equality Act. And, and that's because, you know, the, 
the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was never meant to be weaponized in the way that it's been weaponized, you know, over the years, you know, to um, apply to uh, non-discrimination protections. You know, that's always a compelling interest to, to prohibit discrimination against LGBTQ people. So I'm um, you know, very excited about that, that provision. But, but uh, other than that, the, the same rules apply for, for any religious affiliation. If, you, if, you, if you're just practicing your religion, you know, and you're not you know, uh, receiving public funds, or you're not you know, holding yourself out to all comers, uh, then you're, the same rules apply that would, to any protected characteristic. What about in the context of schools and in sports, um, protecting, yeah, students? Oh, and, Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe let's talk first just about the importance for, in the student context, protecting students in schools, uh, particularly public schools, from discrimination. And then we can talk about some of the attacks that we've seen um, and vilification of, you know, trans folks playing sports and all of that. Yeah, yeah, the... Um, the rates of bullying and discrimination that LGBTQ students experience uh, is, is is astronomical, you know, and, and it's just heartbreaking, you know, to read the reports that come from Glisten and other folks that, that do this work. Uh, you know, the, the experiences, if, <laughs> if you're an LGBTQ person and, and you attend a school, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you know, and it's very, very difficult and very stigmatizing. Uh, and then tack on, you know, the, the rhetoric and the um, really harmful ways in which this discussion has, has, has been approached at times. Is it, it only exacerbates, you know, that that experience for a lot of for a lot of folks in schools. Uh, so and the so the rates are just really really high, you know. And there's even you know for um, the National Center for Transgender Equality does a, does a survey every year, and you know the rates of uh, student bullying and discrimination for trans students and especially students of color are you know. Ex- off the charts, you know, and, and um, you know, they report even being assaulted or discriminated against by teachers, you know, so the rates are super high and, and uh, you know, there's been so much work to address bullying over the years. Uh, and, you know, it's really, really important. Again, there's been a lot of work to expand protections through, through case law and, and local and state non-discrimination protections, but nothing replaces, you know, those clear explicit protections on the federal level that would prohibit discrimination in education. And in addition to those areas, large parts of the country where there are simply no, no explicit protections uh, 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 for those four students. So it's, it's really, really important. That's so important that you raise that point. And I'm wondering, instead of the way that we were gonna talk about this, where I was gonna ask you about some of the attacks we've seen, can you talk instead about how, if, if you were talking to somebody who may have heard something about the Equality Act, but they just fear that it's giving special protections or whatever it might be that about, they care really deeply about sports or whatever, that instead of treating it like some of the far right does, um, if you were just trying to persuade somebody about how important this is, how would you talk to them about some of those concerns that they might have about this legislation? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I think it's important to address the sports question because that's just something that's raised continually. And, you know, if I'm talking to just, you know, the average person on the street, you know, and they hear this, you know, over and over again and they're concerned, I would just point them to the, te- the really compelling testimony from a 16-year-old trans girl that, that you know, um, testified at the hearing who said, you know, look, you know, she was asked why, you know, trans kids want to play sports. And she said, look, they just want to bond with their peers. You know, they want to participate, you know, and, um, you know, the, the 
rhetoric around you know what would happen if you know the, the equality act would pass with regard to sports is is uh, <laughs> is undermined by the reality that you know there have been state level protections you know for decades now around the country where there, there are over 60,000 trans people, students who are eligible to participate in sports, you know, in this argument that somehow trans equality is going to um, uh, diminish women's sports has, has not proven true on, in any of those places, you know, but the flip side of that is that, you know, if by allowing that discrimination to perpetuate, you're, you're denying those students the right to participate, you know, and it, again, it, it, it's, you know, you might just say, well, it's a, just a ball game, but it's way more than that. You know, this is about, you know, developing leadership skills and discipline and and um, learning how to work as a team and so much more, you know, and, and especially bonding with your peers, as Stella said, you know, this is such a formative period of people's lives. These are lifelong friendships that are being made on the field and in the classroom. And, you know, you're, you're stripping and robbing those people of that of that um, ability to 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 to, to peer bond and and um, making them suffer discrimination and, and stigma, you know, this argument that somehow a trans girl could just go ahead and participate on the boys' team is is you know, as a as a, a Trump appointed judge in Idaho pointed out, you know, that's equivalent to telling you know a same sex couple that they could marry, you know, it, when before marriage equality that they weren't being denied marriage because they could marry somebody from the opposite sex, which is you know absolute you know bonkers. So um, you know, it's just a uh, um, uh, really important that those those folks are protected. What's the uh, the urge that or the ask that you have for lawyers out there, particularly um, advocates who are listening here, who maybe live in a state like like New York, where we have two supportive senators? What's the thing that we can do to really take action and get this over the finish line? Um, I, well, I think that you know maybe uh, you know I'm just it's, it's, I, I want to. I think um, one thing to do would be to um, uh, learn a little bit more about some of the um, uh, mythology that's being, you know, um, propagated, you know, with regard to, for example, sports, and to, to talk about this, you know, to debunk this argument that there's somehow biological sex in the world, and, and we know that looking at the law and in medicine, that that's not the case. So learning about you know, um, the ways in which, you know, the Equality Act is being distorted is really important, but also just, you know, educating, you know, family and friends and, and co-workers about the disparities. You know, again, this goes back to this basic central point, you know, that, you know, um, uh, people shouldn't be discriminated, whether it's in the workplace and housing or in credit or whatever context based on who they are, or who they love. It's just a basic fundamental point. And you know the Equality Act, in my opinion, is long overdue. It's supported by over eighty percent of Americans, uh, and uh, you know it's just, it's just absolutely time. So I think, as far as a as a practical step, you know, is to you know support organizations, you know, um, like Lambda Legal and and um, uh, other folks that are out there doing you know great work is is really helpful and important. Um, you know, to help taking on pro bono cases. You know, if you have the capacity. You know, and Lambda Legal and organizations like us are impact litigation folks. So you know, we can only take on cases where we, you know, are are sure that it's going to advance the law for a large number of people. But there's a lot of people that are, as you can imagine, discriminated against that. Uh, you know, that won't have um, the ability to. We won't have the ability to, to represent. So there's a lot of uh, opportunities for for helping folks like that out. I think. Uh, you know, um, uh, talking to people in, in some of those other parts of the country, 
you know, if you have family in Indiana, you know, encouraging them to, you know, contact their senator, their individual senator, and um, urge them to to vote for the Equality Act and talk about how important it is, you know, is, would be really helpful because, you know, they love, senators love hearing from their, their constituents, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and they do count them and it's really, really helpful to have that that, that voice, that in-state voice and out-of-state voice. So feel free to, you know, contact, you know, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure it's always helpful to, to contact uh, Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand as well. But those are a few things, um, you know, uh, getting involved and, and learning about the issues is really important and, uh, and busting the mess. Sasha, thank you so much for talking to me about this. It's so good to see you. And I'm so happy that you're there with a Senate that's actually a House and Senate and a president that we're that are on our side and that we're trying to persuade instead of fighting every day. I have one more thing, and I think you'll love this. There are 100 judicial vacancies across the country as of today. There are 12 uh, circuit Court of Appeal vacancies. So to all those uh, aspiring judges out there, get your materials in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling people the same thing. And where are those judges? Are they coming soon? Have you heard anything? We were expecting uh, a crop, hopefully I can show us. We were expecting some uh, nominations yesterday, but um, it, it's taking a, a little longer, but very, very, coming to a theater very, very soon. Oh, I'm salivating. I bought my ticket early. All right, Sasha, we'll have you back to talk federal judicial nom nominations. I trust that there are at least three or four other folks who are as interested about that, that as we are. Um, thank you so much. And you have a really fantastic uh, vacation that I know is coming up. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on your program. All right, we don't have time for a short break. We're gonna dive right into the next segment. I'm so excited to have with us my friend, Brian Derrick. He's a former Lambda Legal colleague as well. He's a political consultant. And if you are not following Brian Derrick underscore on Instagram, you are missing out on all of the wealth of knowledge that he has on getting involved in state, local races, politics at the federal level, and also LGBT rights issues. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Hi, Eric. It's so great to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. And for folks here, you're just, you know, hearing us on, on this podcast, but you should know that we're both beaming. It's fantastic to see your face. All right. So I want to talk to you about the Equality Act. We were just speaking with uh, Sasha Bookert from Lambda Legal about the nuts and bolts of what's inside the Equality Act and how to advocate for it, why it's so important. I really wanted to speak with you about the political aspect of getting this thing passed. Um, maybe you could start by talking a little bit about public support for the Equality Act and why we're facing any problem with getting the, the, the thing passed through Congress when it enjoys the kind of support that it does. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly as you said, um, really around the entire country, the Equality Act has seen a lot of support coming from across the political spectrum, from the business community, from faith leaders, um, just really widespread support for these kinds of protections. Many people believe that this kind of uh, anti-discrimination law is already in place and uh, see no reason as to why it should be so controversial. Unfortunately, that's not exactly reflected in how it's being advanced through Congress. And so 
Um, it's been passed in the House before, but um, was just passed again, this Congress, by a vote of 226 to 206, with three Republicans um, voting with Democrats to pass it. Um, and is now has now had one hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee. So, so now it's in the Senate, and um, I would say the outlook is not looking great, but um, yeah, definitely a disconnect in, in how it's being treated in Congress versus um, how it's viewed by the public. So to pick apart why it's not looking great, we our listeners are probably aware that we've got 50 Democrats in the Senate and Kamala Harris uh, breaks the tie. Um, you know, I, I thought this bill used to have uh, Republican support. Senator Collins supported it, was a co-sponsor. What's happening on the on the Republican side now with sponsorship and why is it so precarious? Do we have all Democrats in support? Yeah, so um, currently it has 49 Democratic co-sponsors in the Senate. Um, in past Congresses, there have been Republican co-sponsors, including Senator Collins, um, but they have fallen off of, of the act for, for this Congress. And I think that one of the reasons that is, is that Republicans have... Um, really coalesced and, and narrowed their focus on the misinformation and fear-mongering around um, transgender rights. And you hear a lot of discussions about uh, trans girls in, in sports and, and all of these um, sort of like red herrings and, and things that they're trying to stir up um, to make people fear the Equality Act and make it make it feel like it's something that that really it isn't. And so I think that because Republicans have, um, it, they really started testing that in 2016, they honed that messaging more specifically in 2018. And then you saw it really throughout the country at the state level in, in 2020, we're seeing that now reflected in state legislatures. So now that they have what they feel like is, is are these strong talking points to, to muck up the waters on this, it's a lot harder for senators like, uh, like Senator Collins to be a, a co-sponsor of it politically. So we've I, I've heard about the Fairness for All Act. It's it's reared its its head in other um, in other you know it's been suggested before. It looks like Collins might be floating it. Collins came out with a list of here's what I'd like to see in order to join as a co-sponsor again. What are some of those What are some of those sticking points? And are they negotiating points for? Um, people who care about LGBT people and protections, or are we giving way too much on religious discrimination? And would it mean throwing trans people, um, you know, under the bus uh, to appease Republicans that might not join anyway? Right. So um, the bill, the the Fairness for All bill, um, I think now might be called Equality for All. They've changed the name before. Um, was originally introduced in 2019 by Representative Stewart, um, who is from Utah. And so the inspiration from the bill comes from what is kind of known as the Utah Compromise, the, a state level, a piece of. Uh, state level legislation in Utah that passed in 2015 that um, addressed anti-LGBT discrimination in housing and employment, but excluded public accommodations. So avoided the, the tricky areas around 
um, businesses and and those kinds of uh, religious carve outs that that they like to deem uh, necessary when and 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 make unnecessarily large. I guess I would I would say. Um, and so using that as inspiration created this federal piece of legislation that exactly as you said, waters down a lot of the protections that we're actually fighting for um, and adds um, really quite aggressive religious liberty carve outs um, that would in many ways make the law kind of uh, ineffective. And so it seems right now to have the support of no one. <laughs> it has it has 20 co-sponsors, 20 Republican co-sponsors in the House. It has not passed the House. I don't think that it will have a chance of passing the House. It's been condemned by both the right and left. So you have organizations like the ACLU coming out saying that it's um, not a real piece of anti-discrimination uh, law. And then you also have organizations like the Heritage Foundation coming out and saying that in, in one of their pieces saying that it's worse than the Equality Act. Um, and so I... Do you think that we can definitely have a conversation around what compromise looks like? I don't think that that piece of legislation will be the starting point for that kind of compromise. All right. And so what about um, what about the filibuster? Bring us to that point. I mean, clearly, um, the people that I've spoken with who are LGBT rights advocates say, this is really the time to get this done. We can't be using this as an issue to try to improve our Senate for the future. There's a real danger that this could become like the ERA and never ever get into passed into law because we just don't have the support right now. So what about eliminating the filibuster? There are tons of pieces of legislation that are getting bottlenecked. Um, what are the realistic chances of doing something like that? And is that absolutely necessary in order to get this done? Yeah, so um, to add a little bit of context here for, for listeners so we're all on the same page, um, the bill only needs 51 votes to become law. But in order to have that final vote on the bill, you need to get over a 60 vote threshold known as a filibuster um, in the Senate, which has prevented legislation from becoming law for the last several decades, essentially. So the Equality Act has been introduced into committee. Um, Chuck Schumer has said he intends to bring it to debate on the floor and, and to a vote. Um, and multiple Republican senators have already said that they will filibuster that bill, including Lindsey Graham. And so exactly as you've said, that brings us to a point where something has to change with the filibuster if the Equality Act is to become law. There does not appear to be any path forward, even if we were to make changes to the bill, that's going to get the 60 votes necessary. And so that leaves um, still quite a few options, um, but uh, in, in terms of amending the filibuster. I, I know a lot of people talk about abolishing the filibuster. Uh, we don't have to belabor the, belabor the point. I think that multiple Democratic senators, including Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, have said that they are not um, open to that. And so that really leaves us with amending. And there are many ways that you can amend the filibuster to make this a more cooperative process to make the Senate work again and be the deliberative body that it's supposed to be. Um, the two being floated right now most commonly are the talking filibuster and uh, what's sometimes called 41 to block. So um, Joe Manchin has 
definitely sent mixed signals, but has said at times that he's open to the talking filibuster, as has President Biden. Um, what the talking filibuster, what that kind of reform would do is require senators to be standing on the floor of the Senate and talk like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's also called the Mr. Smith goes to Washington rule. Um, as people sort of traditionally think of the filibuster, which is no longer the reality of how the filibuster is employed. So um, there are two, even within the talking filibuster, there are two different reforms that that could look like. One would allow for uh, various centers, just various senators to essentially become a tag team, um, which really wouldn't make much of a difference, to be honest. If you have 40 or 50 even senators that are willing to filibuster something, they could keep that up 24 hours a day for weeks and weeks on end, uh, forestalling any productivity in the Senate whatsoever. The second is, which Joe Biden has specifically um, indicated support for, is that one senator would be responsible for that filibuster. And, and in between that senator speaking and another taking their place, there would be an opportunity to force a vote. Um, that would be a dramatic change and could help us um, move legislation like the Equality Act forward. And then I'll just quickly hit on the other option, 41 to block. Um, I think originally proposed by Senator Merkley, um, the idea would be that any, any combination of senators could speak um, to keep the filibuster going, but that you would need to keep at least 41 senators on the floor of the Senate in order to maintain your filibuster. Um, so it's essentially flipping the 60 vote threshold on its head rather than needing 60 votes in order to invoke cloture and move to a vote. You would need 41 votes in order to prevent a vote from taking place. Um, so all these are three of, I think I've laid out eight options before um, online of, of different ways that you could amend the filibuster uh, to make the Senate work again. And I think the important point here for folks who aren't just listening and procedural law nerds who, you know, loved civil procedure and love this kind of stuff is that there is no way to advocate with your senator for passage of the Equality Act that doesn't include a discussion and advocacy at the same level about filibuster reform, because there is simply no route to 60 votes for this legislation, period. And so if you're not talking about reforming the filibuster, you're not helping to pass the Equality Act. And that's why this is so important. And I wonder if you can give us just a look at, you know, there are other bills that are super important for LGBT people across Biden's agenda um, that are going to stall. And, you know, what are some of those if we don't do filibuster reform? Yeah, um, it's really his entire agenda. So let's definitely dive into the ones that are affecting LGBT communities. But um, after the, the COVID relief bill, we really are at kind of a, a breaking point for moving forward on Biden's legislative agenda without a change in the Senate. Um, I think a lot of people do get concerned. The, the most common argument I hear is that, well, if we do change the rule, if we change the filibuster, Republicans will eventually win a majority in the Senate. Mitch McConnell has made all kinds of threats in, in op-eds and uh, on the floor of the Senate about what would happen if that's the case. But really, I think what people need to see here is that we have so much more to gain than we have to lose. 
Um, as you know better than anyone, Republicans are obsessed with the courts and they already built in the exception to the filibuster. So they are getting their, they have for years gotten their official nominations, including to the Supreme Court. But in order to enact um, a, a pro LGBT agenda, you really need legislative wins. And so um, I, I think that you're, you're spot on in that it is truly a, a pro-LGBT act to be advocating for an amendment to the filibuster at this point. Um, in addition to the Equality Act, there are um, two very important immigration bills that will affect LGBT uh, immigrants um, and asylum seekers in the United States. Um, the For the People Act and the Voting Rights Advancement Act are both critical to um, our, our right to vote and for LGBTQIA plus people, for people of color and other marginalized communities, um, ensuring their right to vote in every state and jurisdiction. Um, and these are all pieces of legislation that really only have a shot if, um, if we make a change in the Senate. So your bottom line, if you were talking to a group of lawyers and legal nerds about what they need to be doing right now, um, to make sure that, and how urgent it is in terms of where we are in this process, what's your pitch? I think that being as proactive as possible in mobilizing the people around you, um, the filibuster being the linchpin of this is um, unfortunate in the sense that it's not an animating issue for most Americans. Uh, most people on the street could not tell you how the Senate functions or what the filibuster is. And so trying to get a what, map- that's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I know, if only. The world would be a very different place if they could. They must all not be following you on Instagram. Where, <laughs> if you follow Brian on Instagram, you would know this stuff. So find us handle. Oh my gosh. I'll, I'll drop it in my uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. But um, yeah, I think that trying to just use your own network and um, and to activate people to, to be more engaged around this issue, we've seen a huge change in how sophisticated voters are and activists are um, in, in the last decade and, and beyond. It used to be that you could just call up and, and say that you support a bill and that, that, that was that, but now we really need to like drill down on how our senators and, and representatives in the house and at the state level, how they are fighting for the issues that we care about. Um, and that, that is from the filibuster to budgets. Like we, we don't have the luxury um, of, of sending people off to Washington to do the work. We, we really need to be involved every, in every step of the process. So um, my pitch to people would be to not only call yourself um, because that is always step one, um, but to activate as many people as you can to be calling your own senators and to be applying pressure, frankly, to senators who, um, who have been a little bit more obstinate including um, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema. Well, Brian, I think that's absolutely right. The time is now. There really isn't any waiting. This bill is going to be coming to the floor and we really need the support and um, we, we need to make this happen. People across the country are hurting and uh, need this legislation desperately. Um, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. I'm always, always ready to talk about the filibuster. <laughs>
<laughs> and we are receptive listeners. Um, thank you so much. You have a good day. You too. Once again, thank you so much for listening. This and future episodes of the Legal LGBT Podcast can be found on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please give us five stars. Leave us a comment. It's how other people discover our podcast and follow us. I also wanted to say we're going to have some really exciting content coming up. We're expecting the raft of federal judicial nominations. And we need to talk about hate crimes, the violent acts of white supremacists who are targeting Asian, American, and Pacific Islander communities. We demand action, we mourn those that we've lost, and we hope to have a podcast on that topic very soon. Also coming up is, of course, our monthly podcast on LGBT Law Notes with Professor Art Leonard. Thank you for subscribing and listening. Now get out and call your senators. <laughs>